Amen. All right. Amen. Good morning. Let's get right into the word. Uh, we're going to, Pastor Matt said we're going to be in the tent next week. We're going to talk a little bit about the tabernacle. Not that the tent is like the tabernacle, probably not, but it was a tent too. Uh, I do want to say for those of you in the past have maybe had some mobility issues with the gravel, we've got some new gravel. It's much easier to walk on. It's much more of a flat, easy to walk surface. So hopefully we've taken care of some of that for you this year and we're ready to go. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 8 this morning. Hebrews chapter 8. While you turn there, I, I, I want to just tell you a, a little story I was thinking about this week. When I was a kid, I had a model airplane in my room. Did anyone ever have a, one of those model airplanes, like the kits that you build? Anyone have one of those? Anyone build the kit themselves? I was given mine, so I don't, can't take credit for building it, although I wish I could say I did. Uh, it, it looked like a perfect replica because I wasn't the one who built it, I think. Um, but it was, it was this yellow biplane. If you can hit the, the next slide there, it looked kind of like that. So I had one of those like in my, in my room and uh, a little yellow U.S. Navy plane. And uh, I just had it hanging there and every once in a while you take it down, you kind of fly it around the room, pretend you have a real plane, and then you put it back up on the wall. And I was telling Bethany about that this week. She goes, I remember uh, seeing that thing that you had just kind of like up there, like looking like it was flying. And um, I want to talk to you about that, uh, a replica this morning, that it, you've got the real thing that's up in the sky, and then you have these replicas that just make you think of the real thing that's up in the sky. And, uh, and we're going we're gonna to take a look at the real thing today. So Hebrews chapter 8, uh, verse 1, we're going to read through Hebrews chapter 8 this morning. Uh, follow along. Hopefully you brought a Bible, paper Bible. I'm reading now the ESV. Uh, you can use your, your phone. You can download Abundant Life Ordering Church app, uh, and there's sermon notes and a lot of other stuff on there as well. So it says in Hebrews 8.1, it says, Now the point in what we are saying is this, the main point. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a, as a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old covenant. He mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says... And then we go into a quote straight out of Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. If you want to cross-reference that, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. So I showed them no concern, no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 
and they shall not teach each one and they shall not teach each one his neighbor to each one his brother saying know the lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest for i will be merciful toward their iniquities and i will remember their sins no more in speaking of a new covenant he makes the first one obsolete and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away so we're going to talk about this new covenant that he put in a place in contrast with the old and we'll start with the tabernacle and uh, it's really, it's really fascinating here as we look at, we look at this tabernacle, picture of this tabernacle that's a copy or a shadow. I was talking to uh, my son, Levi, this week. He was, uh, Dad, I was reading Exodus, the book of Exodus, um, and I get to the end of it, and like the last like 20 to some chapters, it's just details of this tabernacle, like details, lots and lots of details. And they said, I was reading through the Bible. I said, oh, wait till you get to Leviticus and Numbers. It's much more enthralling. <laughs> um, but he said, why does it have to be so exact? Well, in verse 5, we read here that the earthly tabernacle that we see in the Old Testament in Exodus was actually a replica. It was a replica of the one, of the real thing in heaven. It says it was a copy or a shadow, the word there meaning replica. And so we have God giving Moses very detailed instructions on how to build it. In Exodus 25, 9, he tells Moses, you must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly. Could you say that? Exactly. Exactly. According to the pattern, I will show you. See, the specifications had to be so precise because it was a replica. And if you're going to build a replica, it needs to look just like the real thing. And so this tabernacle that God told Moses to build so that his presence could fill, it is a replica of a real tabernacle in heaven. I don't know if you knew that, but there is a tabernacle in heaven, heaven's tabernacle, where Jesus serves as heaven's high priest. He is the high priest of heaven. And this earthly tabernacle was never meant to be forever. Its purpose was to point us to God's eternal work through Jesus. And yet, some of these early Jewish Christians that Hebrews was written to were go considering going back to the old way. He's writing to them saying, you're, you're thinking about going back to the old way. Why would you go back to a replica when God's given you the real thing? When, when you are considering going back, Christians, you're, you're going back to something. You want to you take that little biplane that little yellow biplane that's a model, that's a replica, and you want to just go fly it around in the sky. And yet, with Jesus, God's given you the ability to get in the real thing and soar. And this is the, this is the issue in this chapter of Hebrews, is to helping them understand that there is a real thing that God has done, that the work of reconciliation has been transferred from heaven, or from earth to heaven. That this real, this work where God reconciles humanity, it was a, something that took place in the tabernacle on earth where the priest would go and make sacrifice and reconciliation would happen between God and his people. That work is no longer an earthly work, it's a heavenly work because Jesus has done that work and he serves as heaven's high priest. And because he's heaven's high priest, everything is better. Everything is better. Hit this in verse, chapter, in verse six, it says that Christ has obtained a ministry that is more excellent. His ministry is better. It says that the covenant is better. And it says that the promises are better. And this better ministry, these, 
this better covenant, these better promises are available to you and to me. They're not a replica. They're not a copy. They're not a shadow. They are the forever heavenly work of Jesus. And when we look at Hebrews chapter 8, I want us to just look at these three things, the implications of what that means. What that means that we don't have to live our lives just by some uh, little model, some little replica, that the real thing is available for you and for me. And we'll start with a better ministry. The ministry of Jesus, heaven's high priest, is a better ministry. And it's better, first of all, because it's in heaven. Do you, would, you, would you just, I don't know, you've never been there. I've never been there before. I mean, you just imagine, but I think we can agree it's probably just, in general, better in heaven. I mean, just look around your world for a minute. It's probably better there, all right? It's, it's just better. Uh, and, and his ministry is better because it's in heaven. And it says that he's seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty. In verse 2, it says he ministers in the holy places that the Lord has set up. That's an interesting thing. It says he ministers in holy places that the Lord has set up. Now, if God were to build something, he would probably build it better than I would. And so the tabernacle, he gave us instructions, and he said, I want you to do this exactly. And it was put together by the hands of man, but it says that where Jesus serves in heaven, it is built by the, by the Lord himself. He ministers in the true tabernacle, not the earthly one that it, the tabernacle was fashioned after. And so we are invited into not just uh, a tent in which we can be near the presence of God. He invites us into the true presence of God, where Jesus is at. So his ministry is better because, well, it's in heaven. His ministry is better because his sacrifice is better. His sacrifice was better than any other sacrifice that the priests had ever made. And I'll go over this real quick because we've covered it lots of times, but we know this. He gave his own blood instead of the blood of an animal. Instead of an annual reminder of sin, which is really what would happen, if, you, if they went in once a year to sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins, it was that one day of year where you could really be reminded of all of your sin. And then hopefully at the end of the day, your guilt is gone. But Jesus doesn't just bring us a reminder of sin. In fact, no, he gives us a perfect conscience. His ministry doesn't cover sin, it removes it. And this is a huge difference between the earthly tabernacle and the heavenly tabernacle. As in the earthly tabernacle, they would make sacrifice to cover the sin, to take place, to, to put a covering over it, just to say, okay, God, we're going to hope that you would overlook this, that we could have your mercy on this. But with Jesus in his ministry, he removes sin. He removes it completely from your life. I think we hang on to the remnants of sin way more than God does, where we've walked through things in our life and we are hard on ourselves or we hold ourselves back, or maybe we were thinking of things that I used to do and we still see ourselves in a flawed way, and yet he removes sin. There's nothing an earthly priest can do that compares to what he does. His ministry is better, it says, because he is a better mediator. A mediator. We, he says here that his, he has a more excellent ministry and he is a mediator of a better covenant. That is his ministry of Jesus is to be a mediator for us. Now, what do you need a mediator for? I don't want to ask for a show of hands if you've ever needed a mediator. But here's what a mediator is, is when two sides are really far apart. They're so far apart and a mediator has to come in to bring them together where you cannot come to an agreement whatsoever. 
you're, one side's way over here, another side's way over here, and you come together and you try to talk and it doesn't go anywhere. You can't come to any consensus. And this happens over and over. Whether it's a strike, maybe you've got a strike at your workplace or, or a settlement situation where you're trying to decide who gets what in a settlement. Uh, just this spring, there was a, a lockout. The Major League Baseball had an owner's lockout and the players wanted this and the owners wanted this. And they're so far apart that at some point you bring in a professional mediator to say, all right, children, let's talk like civil adults. And they have these conversations. Well, here... The, the priests of the law, as their ministry of mediation, all they could do was appease God. All they could do was say, okay, God, we're going to offer you this sacrifice so that we won't die, so that you won't kill us, because we realize how sinful we are. And Jesus is a mediator that frees us to truly live. He is a better mediator. When I think about humanity and the sin of humanity... And the perfection of God, the two sides are really far apart. They're very far apart. And so Jesus comes as a mediator, and he gives us the opportunity to freely live, to truly live. And we learned a couple weeks ago that he is interceding on your behalf at the throne of God. He's taken these two sides, perfect God and sinful men, and he's reconciled us into relationship. We read in 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Just one. Just one. And in Hebrews, as these, these Christians are thinking about all the other ways to feel better, all the other ways to worship God. Maybe we can go back to this, or we can go back to this. I don't know about you. If you're ever tempted as a Christian, go back to maybe the old way of doing things, going back to your old ways. There's just one way. There's one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus. And that is the greatest ministry, was mediating a better covenant. And so that's our next thing that's better, is not only is ministry better than that of the priests. Now keep in mind, remember we're contrasting the Old Testament law to what Jesus is doing now. This is an argument to these Jewish Christians helping them understand you got to go Jesus all the way. It's all about Jesus. Nothing else compares. He has a better ministry, and he has a better covenant. The old covenant was never intended to be permanent. He says in the very last verse of this, he says that the old covenant is obsolete. Obsolete. Not just discontinued. You ever go in a store and somebody's discontinued? You go to Costco and there's a little asterisk on the sign and you're like, ah, it's going to be a good deal. Why? Because it's a discontinued. It's an item that's not coming back. All right. And so it's marked down, but it's still there. Something can be discontinued and still be hanging around. He, he says it's not just discontinued, it's obsolete. It's gone. It's out of stock. There's nothing left. There's no point in going to it. The law, the Old Testament law, it was not intended to be permanent. And here we have in, our, in Hebrews chapter 8, we have these early Christians still hanging on to a discontinued, obsolete product, which was the priestly law. In Galatians 3.24, it says, So the law was our guardian until Christ came 
that we might be justified by faith. That's all it was, was a guardian. Did you guys know that you can hire some? This is interesting. I was looking this up this week. You know you can hire someone to stand in line for you? Did you know that? You know, that's a real job. It's a real job. Look it up. It's a real job. You can actually hire a professional line stander, right? And if you have a lot of patience in your life, maybe you should apply to do that job. But you can actually hire people out to stand in line for you, whatever that happens to be. Maybe it's a first-come, first-served concert tickets and you want to get... You can hire someone to stand in the line. Can you imagine, can you imagine like going to Disneyland and just like having someone with you? You stand in line and let us... You, you, and what will happen is, is they'll text you, they'll message you when you're getting time to come and relieve them. And you can pay them to stand... This is, a, this is such a first-world problem right here. I'm telling you what. I can't imagine hiring someone to stand in line, but there are days where, you know... I, I was reading, it's like, can I hire someone to stand in line for me at the DOL? It was like the FAQs. Yes, yes, you can. Anywhere you want, we'll send someone to stand in line for you. I think that's absolutely insanity. But you can do it. It's an actual legit job. Line. Hey, what do you do for a living? I'm a line stander. <laughs> yeah, sounds like hard work. Well, here's, here's the deal. What, what he's saying here is that the law, the Old Testament law, the priestly system, it was, a, it was a professional line stander. That's all it was doing. It was holding the place. It was, all it was doing was just holding place in line until Jesus showed up. And so what happens is, is, is it's the Old Testament law standing in line, and it's time, time to meet with God. And Jesus comes in and says, thank you for holding my place. I'll go ahead and step in now. And now I'm, I'm the one who's here to actually have the main event. And that's what Jesus does. He's the, he comes in, and that's what the law was. It was, it was important, and I don't want to downplay the significance of the law in that time it was needed. But in the, in the scheme of eternity, in the scheme of all time, you can boil it down to simply it was a line stander until Jesus came in and stepped in place and said, I'll take my place now. When Jesus showed up, he enacted a better covenant. And we look in verse 10 through 12 here of Hebrews 8, which is essentially Jeremiah 31. And it tells us three reasons why it's better. The first reason the covenant is better, and there's a lot of reasons, but I'll just give you a few here, is that it's internal work. It says that the law will be written on their minds in verse 10, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God an internal work. In this covenant, the law is written on the minds and hearts of the people. Rather than on tablets of stone, it is written on hearts of flesh. Rather than an instruction tablet, an instruction just code or whatever it is, it's written on the heart. There was no longer needed an external code of conduct to make people holy because the new covenant was going to work from the inside out. That there, it's no longer all about behavior modification. Jesus brings life transformation. Those are very different things. In the Old Testament, you needed to make sure that your behavior was modified and that it was in line with what the law required. But Jesus brings transformation from the inside. You know, you can be a really nice, polite, obedient person, and inside it can be gross. 
There can be all kinds of things. You can be like, oh, it's nice to meet you. And then you say, I've heard about you and I hate your guts, right? Inside your head, you're thinking these things. And you just, as long as I'm nice on the outside is all that matters. But that's not what Jesus came to do. He came to transform his people from the inside out. Because there's only so long that you can try to just keep your behavior up. There's only so long in which you can just say, God, I I got this. I'm just going to be a good person the best that I can be. Jesus brings life transformation, and that's the difference. And that transformation would supersede regulation. That it's not all about the regulations. It's about what Jesus is doing internally in us. A covenant that is marked by believing and receiving instead of earning and deserving. Two different covenants. The Old Testament was about earning and deserving. I've got to just do all the right things. The New Covenant is about believing and receiving. Jesus, you've done the work for me. And so it's an inner work. The New Covenant, the better covenant, is, is not just an inner work, but it's a, it brings true relationship. He says that each one shall know me. They shall all know me from the least into the greatest. God said this new covenant would bring every person it touched into full personal relationship with himself. This was different, so different than the Old Testament from the Old Covenant. Because you could have a knowledge of God. You could know who God is. You could fear God. You could know his greatness. But this true relationship that he brings brings us to a place of really knowing God, to connecting with him. And this was missing from the law, from the original covenant. All you could do was know of God, but you couldn't really know God. Even the high priest who once a year would go in couldn't really know God. You don't get to know anyone once a year. If you were, if, can you imagine like you were dating someone and you said, let's go, let, I'm gonna, I'll see you next year at our date. And then you you go to your other places, and then you don't talk, there's no communication, and then you go on that date next year. If you've done like three of those dates, and you're like, this is the person I want to marry, I would say, you should probably go on a few more dates first. You can't really know someone by, having, by, by meeting with them one time a year. You can't do it. You can't really, you can know of someone, you can read about them, you can read, you can look and say, oh, what do other people say about them or whatnot, but you can't really know them. And what Jesus did with this better covenant is he brought us into true relationship. He restored true relationship with the Father to the way God always intended it. What God intended is what we see in Genesis in the very beginning, as he intended to walk with man. He intended to have relationship, to walk and talk with God, that like Adam and Eve who could walk and talk with God, that was what God intended for humanity. And that's been broken for so long until Jesus came. And he restores Eden to the heart of man. He restores Eden to the heart of man. Uh, my mentor, Pastor Steve Shell, he would say that when you repent to God, it's like putting the apple back on the tree. Where you almost say, God, I have lived my life as though I'm deciding what's right and wrong. And I'm going to take this fruit, maybe it's not an apple, who cares, of the knowledge of good and evil, and I'm going to put it back on the tree, and I'm going to say again, God, you decide what's good and evil. You get to decide what's right and wrong in my life, and I'll walk in relationship with you. He restores Eden back to our lives where we have true relationship. And finally, it's a better covenant because it has 
complete mercy. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. It's such a deeper mercy. A deeper mercy where God, when the priest would sacrifice, he would look beyond their sin. But now his mercy remembers their sins no more. It remembers them no more. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 28, this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This, this Greek word for forgiveness, aphesis, it means remission or complete pardon. It's letting something go as if it never happened. And God said in his new covenant, in this better covenant, he would release his mercy in such a complete way, in such a complete degree that no judgment against us could be left as though he couldn't remember what we had even done. Now, some of you have no problem forgetting what you did yesterday. You have no problem forgetting why you walked into the garage. It's just complete, like, I don't know. I don't know. It happens more and more as your years go by. You just, I don't know. Now, imagine that. Imagine, men, I have a question for you. Maybe we'll say men who, who have a, uh, a spouse. You wake up one morning, your wife's really upset with you, and you can't remember why. That ever happened to you? Why, why are you so upset with me today? What are you talking about? And, and you just don't know. I just don't remember. And then finally, it's like, do you not remember the conversation? Do you not remember what you said to me on Friday? That you looked nice? I don't remember. <laughs> nope, that wasn't it. Right? And, um, <laughs> yeah, and then, and then you're reminded. Oh, and you're like, I said that? I don't even remember saying it. Has that ever happened? Come on, let's be, let's be honest, man, right? I don't even remember saying it. Listen, listen, ladies, our brains don't necessarily function all that well all the time, right? Something happens and we go on and we don't remember what happened. I don't even remember saying that. And then, and then it's brought to our attention and then you go, oh, is that what I said? Right? Imagine, now imagine, if we can't even remember what we said, imagine what would happen that with our sin. Imagine when we come to God and you say, God, you know, last month, I know, I know I've come before you and I've asked for forgiveness and you've poured out your grace upon me and you've forgiven me, but God, I'm still stuck on last month on this terrible thing that I did. And, and I just imagine God going, what you did? What, did you, what was that you did? I don't even know what you're talking about. What did, what did you do? Because I don't remember that. It says that his mercy is so complete that I will remember their sins no more. No idea. It, maybe, maybe your takeaway from this, this uh, sermon is God has memory issues. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but he has them on purpose. He has them on purpose that when you come to God and you say, and you repent and you say, God, I need to ask forgiveness because of this thing that I've done. He says, my mercy is complete and I'll remember no more. No more, as if it never happened. This is such a complete mercy. It's a better covenant. A better covenant that Jesus brings because his, it brings an internal work, true relationship, and complete mercy. And this better covenant not only is just better because of all these things, but it brings us a better promise. A better promise. And this is where I want to land on this morning.
I know the promises of God are many. Have you discovered that the promises of God are many in your life? I've discovered that. But there's a specific promise that he's referring to in Hebrews chapter 8, and this promise that Jesus brings the high priest of heaven is actually found in Ezekiel chapter 36. And this is, if you ever read your Bible and say, I don't know why the Old Testament matters. Well, we've just been reading Jeremiah 31. Now we're going to go to Ezekiel 36 because the promises of God that have been fulfilled are so rich. And Ezekiel 36 verse 26 and 27, it says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This new covenant that Jesus brought, it would be different in that it was empowered by the very spirit of God. Not by our self-control, not by our willpower, not by our strength. They tried that for generations and generation and generation. But it will be His Spirit, by His Spirit. And this is the better promise. There are so many promises that Jesus brings us. But the promise that He's talking about here, that He brings us a better promise, is the promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit, Luke 4.49, Jesus says, very specifically, of the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. I'm sending the promise of my Father. And in Acts chapter 2, we see this beautiful picture of this promise poured out. A promise that's available today to every believer. A promise that's available to the heart of man, every single one of us, to receive power from on high. You see, heaven's high priest has made available to you a better promise. It's through the Holy Spirit that the better covenant is enacted. The Bible tells us that our, our salvation is a work of sealing by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit seals the work of salvation. We see that the, it is through the Holy Spirit in which a better ministry is delivered. And we get to walk in that promise, that promise of receiving the Holy Spirit. And if you've never asked the Holy Spirit to fill you, today is a good day. If you are feeling dry and empty and weak, today is a good day to say, Holy Spirit, would you fill me? And maybe you've done that. Maybe you've asked for that and you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But today is a day where you say, fill me again, overflow me. Holy Spirit, continue to pour into my life. It's a better promise. He has promised us something so good, such an inheritance. I can't imagine being promised an inheritance. And when that inheritance was left for me, I would say, no, it's good. It's good. I'll just, I'll just kind of watch it from afar. Well, I got to say, give me all of it. What is it? What is the inheritance? What have you given me? Some cash? I'll take it all. What, what is it? Give me the inheritance. And this is what he's given us, this better promise, the Holy Spirit to help us walk in this better covenant and to walk in a better ministry he's given us the spirit of god within to begin to guide our lives this is why it isn't an outside work where we're just trying to make be good people and to to fix our behaviors but he's poured out his spirit upon us to transform us from the inside out this is the work of heaven's high priest that it is a true work of heaven he is making us into who He has called us to be. He is making us into... You know, we, we think, man, when I get to heaven, it's going to be great because I'm going to be perfect in every way. 
but He on earth wants to give you His Holy Spirit to begin to perfect you now, to prepare you for what He has for you later. And so we allow the Holy Spirit of God, the promise of Jesus, to come and to do this work within us. And I personally can't imagine what my life would be like without heaven's high priest. If we were still in this system, I can't imagine what it's like now. I'm someone who likes to kind of have a lot of order in my life, so and I probably could have survived the, the system that he set up and do this and do the sacrifice and all that. But, but man, I can't imagine a life in which I couldn't just go to the Lord and say, God, I love Pastor Kevin and Amory shared last week and just some of the, the simple truths of, of just, you think you're so far off the path and you just say, Jesus, I step back into your path. I step right back in and continue to walk in your power. I continue to walk in your ways. This high priest of heaven, Jesus, the one who made a better way, he brings me into true relationship with God. He's poured out his spirit. And there's no substitute for him. There is no substitute. The author of Hebrews is trying to make it so clear to these early Christian Jews and to you and to me, there is no substitute for Jesus. There is no substitute. Anything that you go to to find your peace, anything that you go to to try to find your rest, anything that you go to to try to relieve stress, anything you go to to try to make you feel okay, even if it's God's system of old, the law. I'm just, I'm just going to try to just, just think of an encouraging psalm, which is good. You're renewing your mind. But you've got Jesus and all of him, heaven's high priest. There's no substitute for Jesus. There is no copy. There is no shadow. There is no replica. There is no comparison. And I wonder sometimes in our walk with the Lord, I don't know, maybe your walk with the Lord Maybe you're soaring with Jesus, but maybe your walk with the Lord looks like that model airplane where it hangs in your room on the ceiling and it, it looks nice and you go, wow, that's great. Like that's, that must be like what heaven's like. And you look at that thing and you think, well, that's awesome. And, and occasionally you take it down and you, you fly your walk with the Lord around the room and you, you, you come to church on Sunday and you say, I better take my, my model airplane with me and you bring it and you just kind of fly and worship's going you're like oh man god you are good and you get home and you hang it back up there and you look at it and i mean technically you could tell people i own a vintage biplane i really do but it's not the real thing it's a replica you're not really flying but with jesus you get the real thing and he's called us to soar He's called us in, would you come with me and would you go to the higher places? I want to take you higher. I want to take you to heavenly places. I want to show you what it's like to be able to live life with me soaring in the high places of heaven. I want you to know what it's like to have joy that is exceeding, that nothing can touch. I want you to understand what it's like to have peace that can't be trampled on regardless of your circumstance. I want you to, to soar with me to a place where your eyes are so fixed upon me that when temptation comes, you're offended that it would even try because you have got heaven. You, have, you are soaring with Jesus. I want you to know that just as the old covenant that the author of Hebrews writes about, just as it's gone, so is your past. 
So are your former things. So is the way that you used to do things. So are your old habits and your old ways and your old thoughts. Jesus, the heavenly high priest says, come, I've made a way. And I want to take you higher. I want to see your life transformed. I want to take you to these, to a higher place. And I want to show you the real thing. That's what we get in Jesus, heaven's high priest. He wants, to, he wants you to soar with him today. And if you are living a life where you are, you look at your walk with God real closely and you go, you know, it is really more like a replica. It is really more like just a model plane. I'm not really soaring. I invite you to join with Jesus today and let him take you higher. Will you stand with me today? I want to pray over you. And we're going to close with this song here and send you on your way. Lord God, we come before you this morning. We say, God, take me higher. I want to soar with you, Jesus. Maybe out of your own mouth, would you just tell the Lord, Jesus, take me higher. Jesus, take me to the higher places. Thank you, Jesus. I want to soar with you, Jesus. We look to you, heaven's high priest today, Jesus. And we thank you that you have brought a better ministry. You have brought a better covenant. You have brought better promises. We receive your promise today. We receive the promise today. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do a work within us that would cause us to soar. That we would not be people who would be going through the motions, but we'd be people that would be transformed glory to glory, to be taken to higher places. That we'd be a people that would walk with you forever and ever. We thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen.